welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Over the past five years, the Florida-Georgia rivalry game has been barely one-sided. Georgia is 4-1 and and averages almost 33 points per game over that five-year span, while Florida averaged just 12 points across the four losses. The Gators did score 44 points in their lone win in 2020. The way things are looking right now, the 2022 edition of this rivalry could be heavily in the Bulldogs' favor. However, Number one, Georgia better stay focused on the Gators and not look ahead to their battle with the number three Tennessee Volunteers the following week. Georgia is 7-0 and while Florida is 4-3 and after a tough loss to LSU prior to the bye week. Does Florida have a chance or is Georgia just too dominant? To help me break this down, I have two great guests today on the podcast as I welcome in beat writers Kevin Brockway of the Gainesville Sun and Mark Weiser of the Athens Banner Herald. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper, and of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Let's waste no time in getting to our two knowledgeable beat writers. Kevin, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey, how are you? Awesome. Very good. It's nice to have two such knowledgeable beat writers here with me, uh, definitely making the podcast even better than it normally is. So we're going to start right here, Kevin. Uh, On Monday, Florida and Georgia officials released a statement regarding the future of this game in Jacksonville, and it was certainly noncommittal about re-signing once the contract ends after next year. So tell us exactly what they were saying and what you make of it. Yeah, Tim, I think it's just a situation where I think they're exploring their options in regards to the future of the game uh, with regards to obviously, you know, how it benefits recruiting. I think that's been a storyline that's been told, particularly from Kirby Smart's side at, at Georgia. And, you know, maybe Billy Napier feels as well, hey, having a Florida-Georgia game in the swamp might be good for recruits uh, also. Um, but I think they're balancing that with the financial aspects, the deal of, you know, that, that Jacksonville is providing because – you know, we're in an age now, uh, obviously, in, in 2022 uh, with NIL, with, you know, the continued ramping up of facilities where athletic departments are really still looking for revenue streams. And uh, if they can work out a, a really good deal with Jacksonville uh, to extend the game and it benefits both sides financially, I think that that uh, I think that that will probably, uh, you know, be the best bet to keep the game in Jacksonville. But I, I think certainly Jacksonville is going to have to pony up a little bit. Yeah, you always wish these decisions could be about the fans, but it always comes down to money. So, Mark, you know, earlier this year, uh, Georgia coach Kirby Smart was saying he wanted to move the games back on campus, but it seems like he's maybe, I I wouldn't say softened, but, you know, he's certainly not as strongly opposed to it, and maybe some of that is financial. So what have you been hearing from Coach Smart over the last couple of weeks, considering where the game is uh, located? Yeah, I mean, I think he softened it because it's he's in the middle of the season and it's Florida week coming up. So I think his his probably more true feelings about it were probably expressed, you know, in the offseason when I think it was Tim Tebow, maybe at the SEC uh, media days uh, brought up the, the, the topic. I mean, and it's not the first time that Kirby has been 
you know, talking about how important recruiting is for him and wanting a home recruiting weekend. I mean, Georgia poured a lot of money into facilities with their uh, indoor practice facility, their expansion uh, of the West End Zone and uh, a new recruiting lounge, um, you know, and they have an $80 million uh, football operations center. So he wants to show that as many times as he can for home weekends. Um, and he can't do that when the Florida game uh, is in Jacksonville. Um, you know, I think he, he knows that, you know, he, tradition is against him and finances are against him. Um, you know, Georgia projects that uh, the game this year is going to bring in $3.5 million in ticket revenue. Um, you know, that's $7 million uh, every two years while a home game uh, in the SEC brings them 4.9 million every two years. So, you know, th there's a distinct uh, advantage financially for Georgia to, to keep it there. Uh, but Kirby Smart's pretty persuasive and he's uh, winning a lot of games. So I think uh, what he has to say will be will be weighed in um, as much as uh, anything. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned the tradition. I mean, this game's essentially been played here every year since 1933, aside from the two years where they were prepping the stadium to become the home of the Jaguars in the 90s. So, you know, Kevin, how bad or disappointing would it be if they move this game back onto the campuses? Because I, I think the fans kind of like that unique experience. Yeah, I think so. I think the spectacle of it, the fact that, you know, you look at the stadium and it's half blue and half red and, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the pageantry and, and some of the stuff that's going that goes on in the parking lot before the game, some of the uh, the fun and the tailgating. And uh, uh, I, I think the way Jacksonville is set up for that is 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 pretty good as well. It's kind of a you know, you have a lot of big, um, you know, parking lots around their sports complex. So I think that whole aspect of it uh, makes it interesting. But it would be kind of fun to do it for a couple of years. And I think Jacksonville Stadium is undergoing a renovation. I think they actually are going to do it later this decade for two years when when Jacksonville's uh you know uh, stadium uh, undergoes another renovation and I could remember in the 90s and you know when Florida uh certainly had the better of the rivalry and Ray Goff was the coach at Georgia Steve Spurrier going up to Sanford Stadium and kind of laying a, a late touchdown on Georgia because he wanted to get to 50 he said he wanted to hang a half hundred on that stadium so um so it would be interesting again uh to see uh, at least one game in the swamp with Georgia and one game, and maybe they could work out a way they could rotate it. But uh, uh, that would, uh, I, I would be curious to see that. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned right now, the Jaguars are looking to renovate TIA Bank Field. Uh, they're hoping to get something in the neighborhood of $800 million to do that. They say that the stadium itself is structurally sound, but there has to be a lot that goes into it, including adding some shade, adding some amenities, because it really is an older ballpark and you really do fry when you're at a game there. So there's that. But, you know, I remember being a fan. I'm, I'm a Gator grad and I went up there four years in a row in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And it does. It has that special feel. And, you know, you're off campus, you're mingling with the other teams teams, fans, and, you know, it's that neutral site. But, you know, I, I also think a lot of this probably has to do with the expansion in the SEC. So, Mark, you know, we're going to be getting Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC. You know, does it become harder to schedule eight or, or if they expand to nine conference games? You know, where, where are the uh, hurdles there, too? Well, I think, you know, from Georgia's perspective, that would at least provide better quality opponents uh, in the SEC schedule. At home, it seems like uh, you know the last couple of years when the schedule you know is looked at in the off season, it looks pretty unattractive. And then Georgia had a game uh, scheduled uh, home and home with Oklahoma uh, that was wiped out because Oklahoma's coming into the SEC. So Georgia replaced it with 
uh, I think it was Ball State in September next year. And, and nobody's excited about that, even if you no know, Georgia was going to Oklahoma uh, next season. So, you know, if you have more rotation, if you can have an LSU, a Texas A&M, uh, you know, some of the other teams from the West that you don't see uh, that often in Athens, uh, you know, come to to uh, Sanford Stadium, season ticket holders know that, you know, well, Florida's not coming here now. At least we, we have better opponents uh, on our home schedule. Um, but I do think the, what you guys mentioned about the uh, stadium renovation certainly provides an opportunity to get these games on campus. I don't know the details of them, not in the weeds on that. So if that would displace the game, um, certainly the other option then would be, uh, you know, do you want to have Jacksonville as part of a rotation with the home and home sites, which I'm sure will be part of the discussions as these schools try to, you know, get more money uh, in their coffers. Yeah, I think how it would work is they, because of the renovations, you know, looking at some of the long range planning, it would cause them to miss one of those Florida Georgia games. So then, of course, you have to be fair. And if you're going to hold one in Florida, then you got to hold the one at Georgia and then it would potentially come back. But again, they haven't set the year for that. They're still working with the city. So there's still a lot to be worked out. But let's hope that Shad Khan and company can get that done so they can get that stadium fixed up. But let's get to the game now because there is a big game coming up Saturday. And I know Georgia is about as big a favorite as they've been in this game. So, Kevin, I'm just going to ask you the most broad of questions. Do you think the Gators can win? And if so, what do they have to do? <laughs> well, I think the only way the Gators can win is if uh, Georgia doesn't show up. Uh, I, it's going to be – I mean, the, the talent gap is is large, and it, it amazes me um, how they've reloaded this year, Georgia has. And I mean, listen, Georgia did have a scare against Missouri, and they didn't play great against Kent State. But you look overall, I mean, the average margin of victory, I think, is, is 32 points. And I think for Florida, uh, it's just going to be a long uphill climb. And certainly there are a lot of deficiencies or a lot of problems def- on the defensive side of the ball for Florida. And, um, you know, the offense certainly has been inconsistent as well. They've managed to establish a pretty good running game. But, uh, you know, Anthony Richardson has been up and down in his consistency and in, in, in how he's passing the ball. But I think it would take a really special day for Anthony Richardson uh, for that to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe establish a run a little bit to go along with it and for the defense uh, to make major improvements uh, over the bye week from where they are. Because you're, you're talking about a, a defense that's 130th out of 131 in FBS in third down, uh, giving up 52%. And, that just has to improve and whether that's better pass rush, better coverage. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of areas where they need improvement on that side of the ball. Yeah. And Mark, what, you know, there probably wasn't a lot of Florida fans who were watching that Missouri Georgia game, but what were the things that Missouri did well against Georgia? And, you know, are those things that Florida can learn against and, and try and use? You know, Georgia's issues were, were more about, well, they did lose Jalen Carter, one of their best players early in the game on, on a chop block that uh, wasn't called. So, you know, maybe that knocked them back a little bit on the defensive side. Uh, but, you know, Georgia, it was a matter of their red zone uh, efficiency was, was you know, an issue, which it has been hot and cold this year. They, they're, they're now on a roll again against Auburn in uh, Vanderbilt uh, where they got it going again. But, you know, if Georgia's kicking field goals instead of uh, punching it in for touchdowns, and then the other team is, uh, you know, making some plays. It became interesting. Uh, you know, Georgia uh, trailed early and, you know, didn't take the lead actually until the, the fourth quarter against in that game. And, uh, you know, it was a night game in Columbia, Missouri. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was surprising. And, and But that makes you think that, you know, 
could Florida ha hang around with Georgia? I mean, Florida's got more, much more talent than uh, Missouri does. And, you know, with both these teams coming off the bye week, you wonder, you know, is there any kind of wrinkles that these teams have put in? Uh, you know, has Florida fixed their third down defense with one off, uh, off week uh, and, and just try to attack that? Uh, you know, does Anthony Richardson make a lot of plays with his feet and, uh, you know, really cause Georgia trouble in that regard? Um, you know, those are kind of things. And, and of course, just some uh, uncostly turnovers. I mean, Stetson Bennett's thrown one interception, I think, in his last nine games. If he has a couple like he did last year against Florida, you know, could be tight in the second half. Yeah. And Kevin, you know, we, we mentioned Anthony Richardson. You know, what what do I make of him? Is he does he have some sort of upside where the throwing is, is going to get better or more accurate or, or may he never live up to the expectations of his, the physical and, and the stature that he has and everybody expects of him. And, you know, who would you compare him maybe to a Justin Fields type who might not be the greatest thrower, but his feet may have to carry the day. Yeah. And if you watch Monday night football last night, Justin Fields actually kind of had a breakout game. So I think it's I think it's a process, but I think the problem with Anthony was the fact that he waited so long behind Emory Jones, right? So he didn't get that starting experience. And you know, last year his first start was against a Georgia team that had five defense and had five first round draft picks. So that certainly, you know, and 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 really flopped in that game. But there was a reason for it. I mean, Georgia went on to win the national championship that year, and that was a a historically great defense. And that's certainly not a situation where you'd like to throw a quarterback in for his first career start. So I think confidence has been up and down with him because of that, because, hey, this is life in the SEC and you're going to be facing good defenses every week. But, I mean, you see glimmers. I mean, certainly that Tennessee game, I mean, you know, one of only, I think, six uh, quarterbacks in, in Florida history to throw for over 400 yards in an SEC game. Um, if he He's shown that he's capable, but it's the consistency. I think that's the big thing. And, and also, let's be fair, too, um, maybe not many weapons in the receiving game other than, you know, Ricky Pearsall has been a nice addition as a transfer and Justin Shorter has kind of had his moments, um, but uh, as a deep guy, but all in all, I don't think he has really, uh, maybe the threats around him, uh, that some other, you know, teams do particularly a team like Tennessee and the sec, uh, in terms of at the receiving position. Yeah, well, this this one's going to be especially tough for that, that, you know, going against such a hard defense that Georgia has. But also, when you look at Georgia's offense, they're ranked 10th nationally, averaging 41.7 points a game, which isn't good for a Florida defense that ranks just so low. So, you know, they've had 43 trips in the red zone, more than anyone in the nation as well. But, you know, their percentage in the red zone isn't as high as teams like Tennessee, Ohio State, and Alabama. But, Mark, do you even foresee Florida being able to slow Georgia down in the red zone, given how many, how often they're there? Well, I mean, not given what, what they've been doing on third down, uh, you know, recently, or, or I guess this whole season. Um, no, I think Georgia's kind of, you know, solved some of those issues. They've gotten Darnell Washington, who is just an immense uh, target at tight end. Uh, you know, he he's has coming off a career game in terms of uh, receiving yards uh, last time out. So between Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers and, uh, you know, Eric Gilbert just came in at the end of the last game. He's the the third uh, tight end uh, or, or maybe fourth. They have a, a freshman that that's actually ahead of him on the depth chart. But he had a touchdown and you know he's had some personal issues that's kept him off the field all last season and, and most of this season. But if, if they work him in as well, I mean, that's just another weapon as well. And 
you know, Lad McConkie dealt with some drop issues earlier in the season. Uh, you know, maybe he's coming back uh, more hitting his stride. Um, you know, and then Georgia, as usual, has many weapons at running back. Maybe nobody that's a DeAndre Swift, a Nick Chubb, a Sony Michelle, but uh, you know, they certainly uh, there's a reason why they're like you said, uh, in the top 10 in scoring offense. Uh, this offense is reliant on the pass a lot more. They're, they're passing the ball 10 times more per game than they did last year, kind of what, what they were expecting when they brought Todd Munkin in um, and, and Stetson Bennett. Uh, he, well, he doesn't you know have the breakaway speed of an Anthony Richardson, although he did go for 64 yards, I think it was, against Auburn for a touchdown. Um, he's certainly danger in the red zone. Um, he has five rushing touchdowns already this season. Yeah, definitely going to be a challenge for that defense. And, you know, we could probably talk about the defensive issues with Florida all day. All, but, you know, last week or two weeks ago now against LSU before the bye, Florida finally gets that defensive play that they've been dying to get. They're down a touchdown. They get an interception and they get flagged for Javon Dexter essentially falling on Jaden Daniels. It wasn't a helmet to helmet. It didn't look like he had hit him. It just they said he fell on him with all his weight. weight. So what did you make of that call, Kevin? How deflating was that to finally get that interception that you've been waiting weeks to see and have it negated by something like that? Yeah, no question. And that's one of those judgment calls that the officials, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, filtered down from the NFL. And it it really comes down to protecting quarterbacks. But it was just an unfortunate situation because here's, you know, Trevon Dexter, who really has been struggling to make plays all season. And he finally breaks through and finally comes through with a big play. Um, and you get flagged on it, and it's a, a questionable call. Um, but uh, you know, it was you, you have other chances to make stops during the game. You don't, and you know, Tyreek Sapp was really adamant, you know, yesterday in the press conference about you know generating a pass rush and affecting the quarterback. And you know, maybe if you can affect Stetson Bennett and and force some turnovers, you know, maybe that's another way to kind of have a chance. Uh, in this game, uh, the turnover margin uh, certainly will be big. But uh, for Jervon Dexter, yeah, certainly disappointing. And he's been facing a lot of double teams all season, so he's been very frustrated. And, you know, Des Watson was kind of a nice story last month, but he really hasn't, you know, made that impact at the nose uh, for a size that you thought he would. Um, so there, there's still a lot of questions in the front seven for Florida, and that's uh, it's been exposed by some of the better SEC teams. And it makes you wonder if that call – would have been made had that game not been played just days after the Tua injury. So a lot of things go into that, but it was really disappointing. But, you know, Mark, when you look at this Bulldogs team, you know, loaded with four and five star players, has there been anybody who's been a breakout player or surprise that maybe wasn't supposed to be playing as well as they have right now? Because Georgia so loaded with talent. But, you know, is there anybody that uh, that maybe has come from out of nowhere, so to speak? I wouldn't use the term from out of nowhere for these guys because so many of them are, you know, chronicled and hyped up in the recruiting process. So if the fan base knows who these guys are, but, you know, Malachi Starks came in as a five-star safety, um, you know, but because Georgia has so many five-star guys, he might've been like one of five or six in this class. You didn't really hear tons of buzz about him in the spring, uh, but he certainly has been an impactful uh, guy in the secondary started uh, by the second game and uh, has a, a couple of interceptions and you know the most um, you know impressive play for him we talked about that Missouri game uh, they had a guy 
you know, on the way to the end zone and uh, Starks ran him down at the, I think it was like the two or the one yard line, Georgia's defense held from there, forced a field goal. And, you know, that's the kind of play for a freshman that really can win over a locker room, you know, knowing a guy's given that kind of effort, uh, not giving up on a play and, uh, you know, the Georgia wins uh, a tight game on the road. You can look at that play as, as, you know, one of the ones that uh, may have been the difference between a one and a win and a loss. Yeah, boy, I think they have as many five-star players in their secondary, more than most teams have five-star players on their entire 90-person roster. So that that's just incredible to hear how many five-stars they have. So now it's your turn, guys. I'm going to turn it over to you for each one of you to ask the other a question that they may want to know about the team, the game, the coaches, whatever it may be. So, Kevin, you're up first. What would you like to ask Mark about the Georgia Bulldogs? Mark, I'm just curious about how this program reloaded. I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about you, you lost 15 guys to the NFL draft, I think nine in the first three rounds. How, how much does that speak to Kirby's just overall recruiting and uh, the talent on top of talent? And, and is the depth still there, you think, on this roster for years to come? Let me ask, answer the part about the depth question. I mean, I think at most positions it, it's there, you know, uh, week in, week out, season in, season out. But, you know, you do notice uh, A.D. Mitchell, Georgia's kind of biggest deep threat. He's only played a, a couple of games this season, had a high ankle sprain uh, early in the season. I think it was week two. And he came back for about three snaps, I think it was, against Auburn and then sat out the Vanderbilt game. Obviously had the bye week. And we'll see. It didn't sound that great yesterday about whether he'd return for Florida. They might be wanting to keep these guys as fresh as possible for a little game against Tennessee the week after. Um, but you know, that's a position that, that Georgia hasn't recruited quite as well. Um, and, and so when you lose a, your top guy or, or maybe, you know, one of your top guys there, uh, you're going to feel it. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know if there's any position in Georgia that they can't withstand, um, you know, injury. I mean, Jalen Carter is a guy that's a top five projected overall draft pick, and he really hasn't played much at all because of an ankle injury and then a knee injury. Um, and maybe about 60 or 70 snaps total has missed the last two games. I don't know if he's going to be back this week either, but, you know, they're just the roster. When, when you stack recruiting class on recruiting class with five-star guys, Georgia has three guys that I mentioned, Carter, Nolan Smith, and Keely Ringo are showing up on some top 15 projected NFL overall draft picks for uh, next, uh, eight, next spring. So, you know, you lose five first rounders, but you might have three guys that go higher or, you know, just about as high as anyone that went last year, except for obviously the overall number one pick, uh, Trayvon Walker, who's there in Jacksonville. So, you know, Kirby has uh, and his staff has just loaded up and uh, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to slow down. Now, definitely the train is rolling there for Georgia. So, Mark, what would you like to ask Kevin about the Florida Gators? A couple guys that have transferred from Georgia to Florida, obviously, we know about Brenton Cox because he's been with the Gators for a few years now. But the other guy is Jalen Kimber. Uh, you know, I guess he's not starting in the secondary, but, he, but he's one of their rotation guys. I want to ask about Cox in terms of his development and, uh, you know, is he more of a finished product now? And then kind of what Jalen Kimber has brought to that defense. Yeah, you know, it's been a really up and down year for Cox, too, because he's been a guy throughout the whole season. You can look back to the Tennessee game, a really critical play. He kind of broke through on a pass rush, had a chance to get Hendon Hooker and didn't get him. So he's been a guy that I think he leads, Mark, the team in pressures, but he only has one or two sacks this season. So it's been a very frustrating year for him in that regard in terms of just getting the quarterback down. Um, But, you know, he started and and he's been a, a solid defensive player. Sometimes on the edge, uh, he doesn't contain the rush as well. And I know that, you know, some coaches have been 
trying to harp on that on him, but I think he's he's improved a little bit in that area. And, you know, Jalen Kimber had a pick six against USF, um, really a, a big play. Turned out to be a pivotal play in that game because, you know, they they barely beat uh, USF in that game 31 to 28. And um, but uh, was was also beaten in coverage against LSU uh, a couple of weeks ago by a bigger receiver. But I know he's a guy they're very high on. They're giving him snaps. Like I said, they're rotating a lot of guys in the secondary um, at, at the corner position. Um, you know, Jaden Hill came back a couple of weeks ago from injury um, and, you know, looked really good against Missouri. Had a pick six, had two interceptions, another interception in the red zone. And then he kind of struggled against LSU. So there's there's just some uh, inconsistency there in coverage and, you know, trying to figure out whether it's it's scheme. They they play a little soft off the receivers a little bit, a lot of kind of zone and, and uh, you know, uh, quarters coverage. Um, not necessarily as much man-to-man as I think some Florida fans would like to see. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where they are in the secondary right now. All right. Good job, guys. I appreciate that. Great questions. And, you know, Mark, when you were giving your answer, it, it kind of made me think of one other thing. And, you know, Georgia does have Tennessee the following week. Could that factor into the Gator game, or do you not believe in the uh, look-ahead theory that, you know, they could be looking past one opponent to another? Well, I think if they didn't have the bye week, it might have been more of a factor, but I, I think they've had a, a chance to kind of, you know, what they're doing is getting ready for this stretch of five games coming up, which includes Kentucky, which is obviously playing better, uh, you know, after losing to South Carolina, getting their quarterback uh, back. Mississippi State's kind of gone on the downturn, but that's a game in Starkville for Georgia. But Tennessee, you know, w- when you have them beating Alabama, which always has Georgia's attention, uh, you know, this is going to be a huge game next week. And, and I think there is a sort of, uh, you know, could you have a, a you know, a looking past Florida, but, you know, it's the Gators, it's um, the game in Jacksonville. And I don't think Kirby Smart will let any uh, Georgia player kind of overlook, uh, you know, he'll get somebody else out there if he doesn't think somebody's engaged like they need to be. Now, I don't think the 22 and a half point point spread helps Georgia, um, you know, keep their attention. Um, But, you know, yeah, I think there's going to be a sense of relief if they can, you know, get a uh, convincing win over Florida, then turn their attention quick, pretty fast to Tennessee. All right. Now it's prediction time, guys. Kevin, what do you think the final score will be? I will say uh, Georgia 31, Florida 13. I think that uh, Georgia's uh, defense uh, still with its talent is going to be too much for Florida. And uh, Georgia will uh, find a way to make plays, uh, particularly on third down where, where Florida's had a weakness all season. All right. Mark, do you think they cover? You know, I've picked Georgia the last few weeks to cover, and, they, and they've done well in that regard. But then they burned me several weeks before that when I was doing that as well. I think Georgia's winning by three touchdowns. I don't think they're going to cover. Um, you know, I don't have much conviction in that, but but I do think, uh, you know, I think they're going to get Florida's best effort. And, um, you know, Florida has, uh, you know, they haven't done well against ranked opponents, obviously, since the Utah game, but they've kept it relatively close, right, against Kentucky. It was a 10-point loss. Tennessee was a five-point loss, um, and then LSU wasn't ranked, but I, I guess, but uh, they're ranked now, and that was also a ten-point loss. So I think Florida keeps it, you know, within striking distance, but not really. Really, Georgia doesn't feel like they're about to, you know, lose the game or anything. But I think about twenty-one sounds right, and you know, I, I think Richardson and, and the turnovers could be kind of X factors that could keep it closer. 
Yeah, I, I usually see it with Florida hanging around for about a half, but then that defense gets worn out in the second half. They have a lot of three and outs, a lot of punting. So, yeah, I think Georgia wins this one pretty big. So, uh, guys, I, I just want to real quick, before I let you go, get your social media handles. Kevin, if people want to follow along with you or find all your great work, where can they follow along? Yeah, at Kevin Brockway, G1. And Mark? Uh, it's at Mark Weiser, M-A-R-C-W-E-I-S-Z-E-R on Twitter. All right, sounds good. And to find all of their great reporting on the Gators, go to Gainesville.com. And for the Georgia Bulldogs, go to the Athens Banner Herald at OnlineAthens.com. Fellows, this has been a great discussion. Follow along this Saturday. The game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. Kevin, Mark, I appreciate you being here. Good to be here. All right, thank you. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote Georgia head coach Kirby Smart, When you talk about the SEC, you never get a chance to rest. After Florida, he sees Tennessee, so he definitely won't rest much over the next two weeks. Thanks again, and join us next time.